Good morning, church. Uh, welcome to those of you who are over at our chapel, down at our Minnetonka campus, and of course online as well. It's great to be with you all this morning. Here at Calvary, we have felt God leading us to focus a lot of our energy and programming on the area of discipleship, on what it really means to follow Jesus. And I think that there's been an over-focus in terms of like the big C church, not just us, but the, the church in general, on believing in Jesus instead of following him. And that even comes across in the way that we often talk about ourselves as Christians. We're believers, right? But more accurate to the way scripture talks about us is we're actually followers. That yes, it's important for, you know, for us to think about what we believe and how we think, but we also need to have a significant emphasis on how that impacts our lives and how we live and our character, our values, our relationships. And so from our sermon series to our emphasis on getting involved in small groups to what we have going on with our classes on Wednesday nights, which if you haven't checked out Community Nights, please do so, we really want to focus on how our faith form informs and transforms how we live. And that's also why we are focusing on this book of Colossians in this current sermon series. This letter was written to a church in the first century, and it's all about maintaining our focus on Jesus, that he's not only the person we're following, but he's also the one that defines our entire faith. It's in him that we're created, that we're called to be both rooted and growing, That's that emphasis on discipleship. And here at Calvary, we say over and over and over again that a relationship with Jesus is a growing experience. Our passage for today is uh, still in the first chapter of this letter of Colossians. It's this theologically dense poem that the Apostle Paul writes. And there's a lot to unpack in it. But At the very end of this section, in verse 23, Paul, kind of in reference to everything that he says before it, says this, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. That's that rooted part of our relationship with Jesus. He says, don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Now, for those of you who have been a follower of Jesus for a while or have been a part of church life, you've probably been told that it's really important for all of us to be like Paul, to be ready to share the gospel, to share the good news. And we should be. But as I've been preparing for this morning and as I've been studying Colossians, I've noticed that we have a challenge in sharing the gospel that I don't think Paul faced, at least not very often. Because the message of the gospel assumes that people already care about God. It assumes that people are interested 
in who God is and what difference he makes in our lives. For, for people who don't care about God, who don't have any curiosity or interest, the gospel means very little. See, Paul has an advantage to us because in the first century, everyone had some sort of spiritual interest, some sort of religious framework, some beliefs, some spiritual practices. Now, there are a lot of different religions. There was a lot of different beliefs about God or the gods, but you could rightly assume that everyone cared to some degree. We see this, for example, in the book of Acts. It documents this time when Paul is in the Greek city of Athens, and he's uh, taking an opportunity to, to proclaim the gospel. And this is what he says to the Athenians. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I am telling you about. You see, Paul is able to rightly assume that the people in Athens care about God. They're very religious. They're curious. That's not always true for us today. In our day and age, especially in the Western world, there are many people who aren't curious, who aren't interested. There's many people who are atheists, who don't believe in God at all. Secular humanism is a very common worldview. It's just basically the idea that the natural world is all that we have, that there's nothing spiritual. There is there's no God. Now, On one hand, this makes the gospel all the more important, but it also makes it a little bit more challenging because we first have to establish a curiosity about who God is or if he even exists. I saw on Twitter the other day um, a argument. Is that a surprise on Twitter? I don't think so. There's a, a pastor from, from Georgia, and he was getting some pushback from other Christians because he made this simple observation. He said, when we're talking to unbelievers, if we say, well, the Bible says so, he said, that's not, that's not going to be a reasonable argument. And he got a lot of pushback for that. I, I don't understand why that's controversial at all. Of course, that's not going to be a rational argument. If somebody doesn't assume the same things about the Bible, if they don't think that it's truthful or authoritative in any way, they're not going to give it any credibility. So referencing it isn't going to move the conversation forward. What the Bible says only matters if people care what the Bible says. And I think that the same thing is true for caring about God in general. Back in in Athens, when Paul is talking to the Athenians, he says this in verse 27. His, this is God now, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Again, the good news only means something to someone who's seeking to know God. And we have to establish that curiosity 
that desire first. You know, here at Calvary, we have this vision that we could be the kind of community where you belong before you believe. We want to become like that. And even if we've achieved that vision just a little bit, it would mean that everybody who's a part of our church that's here this morning or at our chapel or down at Minnetonka or online, that we're not all on the same page when it comes to God. I hope that's true. I hope that not everybody here is convinced that God is, exists or is convinced about the gospel, this declaration of who Jesus is and what that means for our lives. I hope we're not all there. And so really before we get into our passage in Colossians, before that can even make any sense, I, I want to explore this question first. Why should we care about God? Why should we care? I mean, what do we even mean when we say God? If you had to communicate to somebody and define the idea of God without using the word God, what would you say? Welcome to the intersection of philosophy and theology. Some of you are groaning. But what, what do we even mean? Here's a, here's a, a description, a, a philosophical term to, tr to try on. When we say God, we mean the ground of all being. Some of you are rolling your eyes. It's okay. God, when we say God, we're meaning to whatever it is or whoever it is that created everything. The source of reality. Whatever it is that caused everything to be the way that it actually is. And this is why we should care about knowing God. Because in, in wanting to know whoever or whatever created everything to be, we're actually asking some of the most significant and meaningful questions we can possibly ask. Questions like, why do I exist? Is there purpose to life? Is there true meaning to be found? Is there actually right and wrong, good and bad, or do we just make those up as we go? And if there is this being that caused everything and created everything, does this being care about me? Does this being care, care about us? Are we significant in any way? We're asking questions of significance. Does God care about our suffering, our pain? You see, seeking God matters because it means we're trying to understand our identity. It means we're trying to wrestle with whether or not we are significant, if there's purpose to life, if there's even a destiny that we can look forward to. Because contrary to this is this other worldview that I referenced, secular humanism. Again, it's, it's this philosophy that there isn't a God, there isn't a spiritual reality. All that there is is the natural world. And this worldview has a really hard time answering these deep questions that I think that we all ask. It doesn't really know what to do with questions about identity and purpose and meaning because there isn't an ultimate purpose for everything. 
If there's no intentionality for why we exist, then there's no real meaning. There's no ultimate purpose for life. There's no objective reality to guide and shape our values or shape how we should live. You know, we're actually beginning to see some of the effects, the detrimental effects, the consequences of this worldview in the Western world. People are, are feeling a sense of emptiness when they face the meaninglessness of life. Many people are experiencing a deep sense of loss and even despair because of the lack of purpose that they feel. Because there is no guiding story. There is no explanation for why things are the way they are. We're not significant. Things don't really matter. There's some recent studies, though, that are actually showing that this worldview, this secularistic worldview, is actually on a decline. And there's this renewed interest in our society in spiritual realities, in God. People are seeking, people are wanting to know if there is greater meaning to life, if there is an ultimate significance to our existence. And we, we see this in lots of different ways. On social media, people are following all sorts of like spiritual gurus who suggest different spiritual practices to, to feel more connected with the universe or God or however they might explain it. We see it in movies where uh, there's central themes that focus on spirituality or God. I mean, think of uh, Avatar, which is out in theaters right now. I don't know if anyone has gone to see that. Many people are trying on different religions, different spiritual practices, because they are realizing that they are having this longing for deeper significance and meaning in life. I mean, even this, quite frequently, I, I hear people talk about the universe as if the universe is personal, right? And having influence and in controlling our lives. There's this renewed curiosity about God, and I think that this is a good sign. It means that we're, in some ways, becoming more like Athens in Paul's day. And it means that we can rightly assume that people are curious about who God is. And then the foundation is laid for the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. And it's with this shared assumption that we care about God, we care and are interested in who he is, that this passage in Colossians that we're going to look at finally makes sense. Because in this, again, deep, dense theological poem, Paul is addressing this yearning desire that we all have for ultimate meaning and purpose. He's pointing us to how we can know who God is and what he's like. And he's giving us hope that one day the broken things in our lives will be made right. And he does it all. He does it all by pointing to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And so let's dive into this passage now. Colossians 1, starting with verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. For those who are searching for God, who are wondering 
who God is and what he's like, there is good news. Guess what? God isn't hiding. We don't need to come up with our best guesses. We don't need to rely on our intuition or our philosophical frameworks. God has actually revealed himself to us. He's shown up in visible form so we can know him. I love how John says it, one of Jesus' disciples, in a letter he wrote in the New Testament, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. This is what he says. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. That's another way of talking about God without saying God, right? The one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life, that's another way of talking about God without saying God, he is life itself, was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. This is part of the good news that Paul is getting at in this passage in Colossians. Jesus reveals God. And sometimes I don't think we realize how absolutely incredibly profound this is. That the invisible God, the, the being that caused and created everything, that's ultimately the, the source of our deepest questions for meaning and significance can actually be known by us. Being rooted in Christ at least in part, means that we have to line up our conception, the way that we think about God, with who Jesus reveals him to be. What is God like? What does he think about you and me? How does God treat people when they turn from him? How does God treat people when they want nothing to do with him? Well, we can know by looking at Jesus. And on a personal level, we're challenged then to ask, does the way that I picture God, does the way that I think about him and relate with him look like Jesus? Does the God of my imagination love like Jesus, show mercy like Jesus, stand up against injustice like Jesus? The good news is that we don't need to live in complete mystery when it comes to God. We don't need to rely on a spiritual grab bag where we're just grabbing from this tradition over here and this practice over here and coming up with this thought and this thought and then creating an idea about who God is. We don't have to rely on that. God has definitively revealed himself in Jesus. And this is good news, not just because we can know God, but because who Jesus reveals God to be is so good. Who doesn't want a God? like Jesus. Jesus reveals that God is compassionate, that he's just, that he's loving, that he's patient. Back in 1 John, I, I love how John sort of concludes uh, his statement. This is what he says. So again, he says, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us 
And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And, and then look at this. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. There is joy in knowing who God is. There is joy when we understand that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, looks like Jesus. Jesus reveals God. Let's keep reading in Colossians. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Again, this is very dense, deep language, but this is the gist of what Paul is getting at here. Jesus makes life meaningful. Again, in our, our society, many people are experiencing the, the loneliness and the despair of a nihilistic worldview. There's another philosophical term to put in your back pocket. Nihilism is essentially the idea that nothing matters. Nothing matters at all. All values, all understandings of what are good or bad are baseless. There's no reason to create a value system in nihilism because there isn't any true meaning. There's no purpose. There's nothing that is ordering the world in any intelligible way. And Paul here in Colossians is boldly contradicting nihilism. He's saying life isn't meaningless. In fact, things were created on purpose with a specific order in mind. There's a mind behind it all. There is good. There is bad. There is real truth because everything was created in, through, and for Jesus Christ. He's the guiding principle for life. He's the pattern that was used to create everything. The world, our humanity, the way that we're wired was designed through Jesus, which means that our, this innate desire that we have for meaning and significance isn't a mistake. It's not a mistake. It's there on purpose. And so when you and I, when we notice the beauty that life holds, when we feel that innate sense that life is valuable and precious, precious, it's because it is. God made it that way. When you feel that desire to understand the world and make sense of it all, to, to know why things are the way that they are, that desire, that hope is there on purpose because there is an explanation. When you feel in your gut that something is just evil, and there is injustice in the world. It's because there is such a thing as evil. And when you experience the, the joy when someone does something so good that benefits you or someone else, it's because there is real good in the world and in our lives. Life isn't meaningless. It's not random. 
And this means that in a very profound way, you matter. I matter. The way we live our lives matters. Jesus makes life meaningful. Uh, In another letter that Paul wrote uh, to some believers in the city of Corinth, he says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit, this is what I'm getting at here, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Now, when I was in high school and early college, I, I felt pretty aimless in life. Um, I didn't live with, I don't know, a, a great sense of meaning or significance or purpose. I wasn't driven towards like personal growth and development. I didn't have a, a vision for who I could be as a person. And then God got a hold of my life in a new way, in a fresh way. And this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 really grabbed a hold of me. And maybe this seems obvious to you, but it wasn't to me. But I realized I was supposed to be like Jesus. I was supposed to be like Jesus. That God's desire was to work through my life circumstances, all of the challenges, all of my relationships, my successes, my failures. And he wants to use those to form me and transform me to be more like Jesus. And that transformed my life. It gave me direction. It gave me purpose. My life drastically changed. I became more loving. I became more patient. I became more sincere and intentional. I became more self-aware. I cared more about my relationship with God. I cared more about holiness and turning away from my sin. Jesus reveals God to us, but he also reveals to us what it means to be human. He gives us a framework, a target, a purpose for who we are called to be and what we're called to live like. And this can direct our sense of identity. It it can transform the way that we engage in relationships, the way that we parent, how we want our friends to be, let alone how we want ourselves to be. When we grasp onto this vision, this understanding that God wants us to be like Jesus, we venture out on this journey of growth with God. We can have purpose and clarity And life becomes more significant and more meaningful. We're called to be rooted in Christ and to grow in Christ. Jesus makes life meaningful. All right, let's go back to Colossians. Verses 18 through 20. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ 
And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You know, so on one hand, we're, we're asserting that because there is a God, there's meaning in life. There's a reason for why things are the way that they are. There's an intention, there's a design that we can live in. There's a purpose. And yet, on the other hand, we all face incredible moments of pain and suffering. Darkness that makes us wonder, maybe there isn't meaning to this at all. These experiences of grief and pain often lead to that sense of despair, where we question everything, where we have significant doubts about who God is or if he exists at all. Maybe there isn't a God. Maybe life is just a random set of experiences. See, but the thing is, the Bible doesn't shy away from talking about these hard realities. In fact, they take center stage in the biblical story. From the very beginning, we're told that corruption has taken place in God's good garden, in God's creation. Death and decay, dysfunction and disorder have appeared where there's only supposed to be flourishing and life and where things are supposed to be the way that they're supposed to be. We learn that humanity turned from being rooted in our identity in him and we've gone astray. We've decided we want to define life on our own terms. We want to decide what is good and bad. And the results are catastrophic. And Paul here, in very shorthand, is just summarizing what the Bible lays out in great detail that things aren't completely the way that they're supposed to be that there is a real brokenness to the world in our lives. But he's also saying that God is the kind of God that doesn't stand by and do nothing. The good news is that God has done something. He is doing something, and he will continue to right what is wrong and fix what is broken. We learn that what God did in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what he intends to do for all of creation, including you and me, including those who trust and follow him. Colossians 1, 21 through 22 says this, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Again, doing things our own way, wanting to define good and evil on our own He says, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. There is real pain and brokenness and suffering in our world. In a very real way, things are not the way they are supposed to be. And so it makes sense that when we encounter that, we experience the despair and the questions and the doubts. 
But Jesus, as we sang earlier in one of our songs, is the light shining in the darkness. Jesus gives us hope that the brokenness and the pain, that the dysfunction will not have the final word, that God is in the business of restoration and redemption. There is hope in Jesus. In this poetic section, Paul is saying that if we want to know who God is, if we care, if we have a vested interest and a curiosity in who it is that created everything, in who caused it all, who ordered it, we can know. And we can know by looking at Jesus. Paul tells us that if we want to know what life is about, if we want to understand who we are supposed to be, what makes life meaningful, we can look to Jesus. And he also says that if we need hope, if we are overwhelmed by the chaos and pain and darkness and the dysfunction, that we can look to Jesus. This is what this section of Colossians is all about. It's about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. So for those of you who aren't sure about this whole God thing, uh, you're not even sure if you believe in him, let alone whether or not we can even know him, I just want you to just, I just want to encourage you just to keep exploring. Keep seeking. Keep asking those questions. Explore the, the possibilities. Recognize that you have this innate desire to know this desire to experience life as meaningful and significant. And maybe you'll find, like many of us have, that there's a reason for that. That there's actually a reason to believe and that God can be known. For those of you who want more clarity about who God is, maybe you feel like you just have this sort of hodgepodge of ideas of God's character and how he interacts with the world and how he thinks about you. I want you to take Paul's advice and dial in on Jesus. Take how you think about God and compare it to who Jesus reveals him to be. And I suggest you agree with Jesus. Line it up with Jesus. And then for those of us who are struggling to find hope, if you're seeing all the ways that life and the world are broken and dysfunctional, when evil seems too chaotic or too dark, Look to Jesus. Look at the cross and the resurrection. There's hope offered there. It's not a magical power that just instantly erases, erases all the, the brokenness in your life. It's not like a, a mind over matter trick where you just convince yourself to be happy uh, even if you're not. No, there's real hope in the gospel to know that God has entered into our pain, that he's done something about it and that he promises that the pain and the suffering and the darkness will not have the final word. Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus makes life meaningful and Jesus gives us hope. So as a church, let's remain rooted and growing in him. Or as Paul writes to the Colossians, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Let's pray. Father, we 
are in awe that we can know you, that you have revealed yourself to us, and we are humbled by how good you are. You are a God of grace, of forgiveness, of justice, of patience, of deliverance and restoration. And we pray that collectively you help us all to know you more and more, as it says in Corinthians, that would be, we would be transformed to be more like you, that we would see you more clearly in who you revealed yourself to be in Jesus, and that we would find courage and boldness to proclaim the good news to the people in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.